Coming up this evening, live from New York City, the U.S. economy shrinks again for the second quarter in a row. Experts say even if we're not in a recession, we're close to one. And a surprise reversal. Senator Joe Manchin now backing a Democrat bill focusing on climate, Texas, and health. What's in it? JetBlue wins the takeover battle for Spirit Airlines. Now it faces antitrust regulators. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Chenny Wu here for NTD Business. The U.S. economy is shrinking. Today, the Bureau of Economic Analysis released its second quarter report. It said gross domestic product, a wide-ranging measure of economic activity, fell by 0.9% from April through June. That's the second decline in a row. While not official, two consecutive quarters of negative numbers is a well-known signal of a recession. And the report could reinforce worries by some economists that the U.S. is already in a recession. The GDP report comes a day after the Fed hiked rates by another three-quarters of a percentage point. And here to talk to NTD's Don Ma about the new GDP numbers is Tavi Costa. He's the portfolio manager at global asset management firm Crescat Capital. He also builds a macroeconomic model that's able to identify the current stage of the U.S. economic cycle. Tavi, thanks for joining us. So the U.S. economy is shrank two consecutive quarters in a row. I want to get your opinion. Are we in a recession right now? Well, I think we are, uh, or if not, we're very close to one. I, uh, as far as what we're seeing in, in terms of leading indicators, um, everything is, is, is plunging when it comes to economic activity. You look at ISM manufacturing uh, surveys, uh, and also if you look at PMIs right now, at the worst levels that we saw back in the global financial crisis in the COVID recession, and we're yet to see uh, the impact of fat tightening in the economy, which has a lag of about six to 12 months. And that should be coming in here very soon here. We also already seen labor market deterioration too. Uh, job openings is starting to decline. We're seeing initial jobless claims are starting to increase. Earnings are not very good. Um, so I do think if we're not in a recession, we're very close to one. Technically, we are in a recession. And it's very scary to see the Fed actually tightening monetary conditions uh, on top of already being in a recession. So uh, I think there's a lot more downside for the economy as economic activity continues to fall off a cliff. So, Tavi, I want to bring up an argument against that we're in a recession. So 370,000 jobs were added last month. It's not very typical of a recession, right, where if you want to find a job, you can get one. We should be well known for people that labor markets are actually lagging indicators most of the times. And another thing that is important to point out is that if we go back to the 70s when we had an inflationary environment and we had inflationary recessions, first of all, we've had the inflation problem running for about two years at very highly elevated levels until we saw labor markets begin to really deteriorate. In other words, after two years of having inflation over 5% on a year-over-year basis was when we started to see uh, the increase in unemployment rates. So be very careful looking at unemployment rates and other labor market indicators, because that's a lagging indicator. That's the last shoe to drop. 
Right. You bring up a good point. Whether or not we're officially in a recession, it may just be a technicality. But the reality is the U.S. economy is weakening. Am I correct on that? Weakening with aggressive, with the Federal Reserve becoming more and more aggressive. And if the the tightening we saw so far has been getting progressively larger, right? And so it, that's the scary part. There's another issue here is that the commodity market, the structural problems that would cause the end of a commodities bull market have not been resolved. In other words, we haven't seen investments coming into the commodity space. Natural resource companies are still very constrained from a supply perspective. And so how do you fix that? And, and if anything, monetary tightening is only uh, restraining uh, capital availability for those companies. And so, uh, and, and, and also taking away the appetite for making new investments. So Tavi, with everything that you mentioned just now on the economy, going forward, do you see a positive or negative GDP for the third quarter? A decline in in in, in growth. Uh, view very view very strongly. We're going to see a decline in growth. It's going to be led by uh, you know watch companies that are actually increasing increasing guidance in this environment. I think they're going to get crushed. Um, I, I feel very strongly the next earnings are going to look very different from from what we've seen so far. But if a company is not growing at, at over 10% in revenues and over 10% in earnings. You're just not keeping up with inflation. So you're already at negative levels anyways in real terms. That's an important metric. And so um, I do think we're going to continue to see a squeeze of margins uh, that's going to lead to a contraction of earnings. That's going to lead as well to a contraction of economic activity. So to answer your question, yes, I do think we're going to see a decline in growth in the next quarter. All right. Thanks for your insight. Tavi Costa, Portfolio Manager, Crestcat Capital. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. In a surprise U-turn, Senator Joe Manchin is all of a sudden for the Democrats' climate, health, and tax bill. He's calling it the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 instead of Build Back Better. And Diddy's Colin Fredrickson takes a look at what they agreed to. Democrats say the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 will raise $739 billion over the decade in new revenue. It includes things like nearly $370 billion in tax credits to help clean energy technology, $60 billion for environmental justice, limitations on carried interest, and a minimum book tax on certain large corporations. Tax hikes are going to, uh, as we find in our modeling and many others find, it's going to reduce uh, output and production in the U.S. economy. And of course, when you see a smaller economy, you're going to see higher prices and so in, in the long run. Garrett Watson is a senior policy analyst at the Tax Foundation. Watson says it's far from clear the bill will actually reduce inflation. It really depends on the pattern of when the tax hikes kick in and when the spending happens. A big part of the spending will be to extend the, the uh, subsidies related to the uh, the health care law that President Obama signed in 2010, uh, that will have an inflationary impact. A big item in the bill, a tax on methane emissions if you emit above a certain amount. This is entirely new. We've never had in the U.S., we've never had a uh, nationwide carbon tax or tax on any other greenhouse gas. Brent Bennett is a policy director of the Life Powered Initiative at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Bennett believes this is the most pernicious part of the bill. Oil and gas companies domestically are going to have to install more uh, gathering equipment. They're gonna to have to install more expensive controllers, pumps, all that. They're gonna to have to do a lot more monitoring. Um, 
And so that's just going to raise costs on domestic production. Another big item, levying taxes on drug makers who raised drug prices above certain rates of inflation. If you have um, price controls, that gets built into people's calculations about whether they're going to invest in the next generation of technologies. Wayne Weingarten is a senior fellow at the Pacific Research Institute. Weingarten says drug development is very risky. It takes many years and billions of dollars. If we want to address devastating diseases to improving our quality of life, we need drug innovation. If we want to actually reduce costs long term, we need drug innovation. So they're at, by, by imposing price controls, we're going to stifle drug innovation. Other items in the bill, tax incentives for buying electric vehicles, $500 million to the Defense Production Act, and additional resources for the IRS to enforce current tax laws. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. And as we find out that we're in what's technically a recession, Meta's quarterly earnings release reflects that. It's one of the biggest companies in America, so its performance reflects the overall economy. Meta underperformed on both top and bottom lines. Not only did sales slow, it forecasted slowing sales in the next quarter as well. It said advertising demand was weak. The demand fell 14% in the quarter. It also lowered its expense projections for the whole year, accounting for less hiring and less growth. And because of rising manufacturing and shipping costs, it made the MetaQuest 2 headset 34% more expensive. It now costs $400. Mark Zuckerberg told investors that this period demands more intensity. He said he expects the company to get more done with fewer resources. Ford, on the other hand, is flourishing. The company posted much better than expected profits and revenue in the second quarter. The auto industry has been struggling with supply chain problems and limited vehicle inventory. And with demand outpacing supplies, retail car prices hit record levels in recent months. However, the higher vehicle prices helped Ford achieve some admirable results. Ford's income, excluding special items, jumped to $2.7 billion. Compare that to $510 million it earned just a year earlier. Revenue was more than $40 billion, up from the $26.8 billion a year ago. And revenue from vehicle sales rose 57% to nearly $38 billion. JetBlue Airways won the takeover battle today to buy Spirit Airlines. It's after the low-cost carrier agreed to a $3.8 billion buyout offer. Chris Dignam reports. Spirit Airlines on Thursday agreed to a $3.8 billion buyout offer from JetBlue Airways ending a drawn-out battle for the low-cost carrier whose acquisition would help create the fifth-largest U.S. airline. The victory for JetBlue comes after Spirit canceled its $2.7 billion sale to Frontier Airlines, but the potential takeover is expected to kick off a fight with antitrust regulators. JetBlue and Frontier were locked in a bidding war to create a combined airline that would better compete with legacy carriers at a time when the industry faces a labor crunch and high jet fuel costs. In February, Spirit had agreed to an offer from Frontier before JetBlue jumped into the fray with a higher offer in April. Despite JetBlue's better terms, Spirit had pushed for a merger with Frontier, citing antitrust concerns with a potential JetBlue tie-up. 
but it couldn't muster investor support for the deal and was forced to delay a shareholder vote on the proposed acquisition four times. Stocks rallied for a second day today. The Dow rose 332 points, or 1 percent. The S&P gained 49 points, or 1 and 2 tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq added 130 points, or 1 and 1 tenth of a percent. President Joe Biden was in a video conference with China's Xi Jinping this morning. This is the fifth talk between the two leaders. It comes ahead of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's possible visit to Taiwan. Beijing has said it would take such a visit as a provocation and warned of strong measures in response. The call took place as President Biden seeks new ways to work with China while curbing its growing influence. The president has been weighing whether to ease tariffs on Chinese-made goods to fight inflation in the U.S. Current points of strain with China include its treatment of Uyghur Muslims, militarization in the South China Sea, and the regime's global campaign of economic and political espionage. Stellantis is one of the most recent companies that's scaling back in its presence in China. Today, its CEO outlines the reasons why. NTD's Sean Marshall brings us the details. Stellantis is having trouble with local Chinese politicians. Chief Executive Officer Carlos Tavares cited that as a root cause behind the company's decision to shut down its only Jeep factory in China. He said the state-owned GAC, or Gangzhou Automobile Group, did not comply with a memorandum of understanding leading to a breach of trust. The political influence on business in China has been growing over the last five years, which means the more I discuss with my business partners, the more I was seeing over the last five years that the political pressure, the political influence on their own positions was impactful. Tavares has acknowledged lockdowns in China have impacted business and that the Jeep joint venture was racking up losses. But he said the company's reasons for leaving run deeper. And I think that you will see that some of our competitors being very vulnerable to the Chinese operations will be somewhere challenged in the near future because of this growing geopolitical tensions. Tavares mentioned that they would be very exposed if they kept an asset-heavy strategy and thinks that having an asset-light strategy would give the company more protection. Jeep will instead sell electric vehicles in China. Sean Marshall, NTD News. On a recent episode of the Joe Rogan Experience, Rogan warned about the dangers of using TikTok. He said all your data could end up in the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. NTD's Phil Zhou reports. On the popular podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, which has over 2 billion views and around 13 million subscribers on YouTube alone, Rogan himself was warning about the dangers of using the app TikTok. God, I read TikTok's terms of service. Uh, I went down a TikTok rabbit hole yesterday. Yeah. He discovered how the app TikTok steals our data for the Chinese government. Stealing intellectual property, stealing all your data, stealing credit card numbers, stealing where you're going, tracking you, if you're uh, criticizing the Chinese government. 
TikTok is owned by Chinese company ByteDance, and in China, there aren't any real private companies. If the Chinese regime wants any data or information, so-called private companies are forced to turn it over. This isn't a boy crying wolf. This isn't a theoretical problem. This isn't uh, people overreacting. There's a real issue. Joseph Steinberg is a top cybersecurity expert. He wrote the book Cybersecurity for Dummies, first and second editions. He's been in the field for 25 years. This is a a real issue of Chinese apps that may have Chinese government influence ending up on Americans' devices where all sorts of sensitive data resides and sensitive communications occur. In 2020, former President Donald Trump tried to ban TikTok in the U.S. for the exact same reason. Because you don't know what a foreign power may be thinking and how they may be planning to use it. So there is an issue of sharing data, and it's not just TikTok. It's any entity that's sitting in China that you're giving access to your data. Not too long ago, data collection became more valuable than oil. Scott Swanson is a Silicon Valley veteran with nearly 20 years of experience in tech. He's also the founder of the app Bonder, which prioritizes privacy, trying to bring back the human connection with local meetups and events. When is enough enough? How much information do you want to share? Who's watching? Who's listening? And what are they doing with it? Is it just for advertising? Swanson says TikTok is more of a data collection agency than a social media app. How free are we on these platforms to say what we want to say and do what we want to do without somebody watching and regulating it? I call it intrusive data collection. NTD News reached out to TikTok for comment, but we didn't get a response by airtime. Phil Zoe, NTD News. NTD's Paul Graney is at the ALEC annual gathering of state legislators. Today, he caught up with entrepreneur and author Vivek Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy is concerned woke corporations are using their influence to undermine American freedoms. Take social media platforms censoring people, for example. But he doesn't want the government to regulate away the problems. Instead, he wants the American people and the free market to fix them. A perfect example would have been Elon Musk buying Twitter to guarantee free speech. But it seems that deal is close to falling apart. Here's their conversation. Vivek Ramaswamy, it's great to see you. Good to see you. Are you disappointed about how things have played out with the Twitter Elon Musk saga? I am a little bit. Uh, look, I thought that Elon Musk was going to be the right owner for Twitter. His task was going to be really hard, though, because most Twitter employees and management team members and even the old board members did not want to do what he actually wanted Twitter to do, which was to be a free speech platform. I thought there was a great business opportunity there, too, where if you don't alienate half your customer base, including half of the users who might be the most valuable user base to have, Twitter could actually be a much more valuable company. Now, look. I'm not, in, I'm not in the shoes of actually being the person who bid for the company. I can't you know, certainly speak on his behalf, and it's his money, and he's free to decide what to do with it. But personally, uh, I think that it is disappointing to see the ownership not change control when that could have been a, such a promising solution. However, I think one of the things he's done is he has highlighted one of the promising paths to drive change in corporate America. 
which is the use of shareholder power and restoring a shareholder voice to do it. So even though Elon may not do that at Twitter, I think that's a promising path in every industry, including eventually in U.S. tech as well. It's a big part of why I'm focused where I am. I think that's actually one of the underappreciated biggest levers for driving positive change. And that's why I'm dedicating my own, my own time and energy to using and, 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 and further, further driving that path forward. And finally, how big is the pressure on someone like Elon Musk to go against the grain in today's society? I think the pressure is tremendous, right? I mean, look, we have cultural headwinds in a particular direction over the course of the last 10 to 15 years in this country that have created a sort of cultural totalitarianism. It's like an ideological cartel that punishes the defector. Elon is one of those defectors. I mean, I have lived this firsthand. I can really empathize. I mean, leaving my seat as a biotech CEO for seven years to then write Woke Inc., I've, even on on a, on a smaller scale, seen the kind of you know consequences that that one may face. But at the end of the day, courage to me, the definition of courage, is not only having convictions, but your willingness to act on those convictions, even if it comes at some level of personal risk. That's my definition of courage. I think fear is infectious in a society, but courage can be infectious too if more of us start acting it out. Vivek, thank you. Thank you. Still to come, a sneak peek at films heading to theaters in August. From a Brad Pitt action flick to a Holocaust documentary. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Collecting postage stamps used to be a big hobby, but not anymore. People don't collect things as much, and modern technology has replaced some of what stamps used to offer. Despite that, one die-hard stamp collector and businessman in Chicago says he'll never give it up. Here's a story. Charles Berg has owned Stamp King, a postage stamp store in Chicago, for almost 30 years. Berg started collecting stamps when he was six years old, and it turned into a lifelong hobby where he learns about history and meets people. At 80 years old, Berg is still passionate about stamps. Stamps are something you can do for your whole life. Um, and, and it can take you places that, you know, sometimes we don't think of anymore. When I was young and collecting, you would get stamps from some of the colonial areas, you know, the French colonies in Africa. And these depicted peoples and animals that we never saw over here. He learned about Okapi, a zebra giraffe, from a colonial-era Belgian Congo stamp. Back in the day, stamps were the only place people from other parts of the world could see this animal. But not and anymore. Now, you can watch programs on this on the TV for hours at a time. So this diminishes what we used, one of the things we used to get from stamps. Berg is also disappointed with modern U.S. stamps' inability to convey history in both designs and themes. A friend of mine is on the Citizen Stamp Advisory Committee that advises the post office, and she told me bluntly 
that they don't want historical stamps because people don't like them. Besides learning about history, Berg enjoys meeting people and helping them find stamps through his business. Hi, Tom. This is Charles at Stamp King. I have the Confederate frame line for you. It's going to cost you $2,300. So it's taken us four years to find this, but I finally have one. If this deal goes through, Berg will make $300 off the $2,300. This would be one of his larger transactions. Most of his deals range from $50 to $200. This is not a thriving business. It hasn't been for a long time. But I derive a pleasure from helping people. One of the problems right now is we do not have enough stamp collectors anymore. They've tended to become elderly and pass away. Fewer collectors mean less demand and less business. But that doesn't matter to Berg. He is a die-hard collector. He says he has so much fun collecting and selling stamps that he doesn't plan on retiring. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago. Summer may be winding down, but Hollywood has new films headed to theaters in August. Here are some of them. Hi, there's a gun on It's the quiet car. Got use your small inside voice in here, son. There's a gun. Brad Pitt rides the bullet train. The action comedy features Pitt going up against a group of fellow underworld types, chasing a mysterious briefcase on a high-speed train bound from Tokyo. The train leaves the station August 5th. Who wants to play bodies, bodies, bodies? So how do you play? An innocent game turns deadly in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies after a group of young people caught in a hurricane during a house party stumble into a real murder. The thriller hits theaters August 12th. These three minutes of life were taken out of the flow of time. Helena Bonham Carter narrates three minutes a lengthening. The documentary looks at the only film footage of a small Jewish community in 1938 Poland prior to the Holocaust. The film opens in theaters August 19th. Leave right now. The guy in the gray hoodie is robbing the bank. Who's in charge here? John Boyega stars in Breaking, based on the true story of Marine veteran Brian Brown Easley and his actions following a denial of Veterans Affairs support. The drama arrives in theaters August 26th. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Chenny Wu. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow.